Hey friends, it's your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish here with another episode of Sly Flourish's Lazy GM Prep. In this weekly show, I go through steps from Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master to prepare for my Sunday RPG. In this case, I am running Scarlet Citadel for 5th edition, a Cobalt Press hardcover adventure, a big, deep mega dungeon? I think they call it like a killer dungeon, right? It's not quite a mega dungeon, it's sort of a killer dungeon. And we've been running it now for quite a few months. And well, yeah, our, our characters are a good way in. We'll talk about that in a minute. This show, like all of the work of Sly Flourish, is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. If you want to get access to Uncovered Secrets, Volume 1 and 2, The City of Arches Sourcebook, early previews of other things that I'm doing, a bunch of exclusive adventures, dedicated access to a Discord channel, and access to the monthly Q&A, you can do all of that by becoming a patron of Sly Flourish. It's a very reasonable price. And you can find a link to that down in the show notes below. So last week, I've been thinking a lot about this adventure. I'm a good you know, probably about halfway through it at this point. And I'm sad to say, I don't think I can recommend it. If somebody was to say, hey, should you, should I play Scarlet Citadel? I would, I would probably not just say no, but I would certainly ask some questions about what kind of adventure they want to run. And I would give what I'm about to give to you, which are my, some main considerations to keep in mind when, when running Scarlet Citadel. Scarlet Citadel definitely is moving into that territory of an adventure where I feel like I have to do a fair bit of work to get it into a playable state. And that, to me, is sort of the difference between an adventure that I can recommend and an adventure that I can't. If I had, for example... Scarlet Citadel on one side, and I had maybe something like Tomb of, Anni- Tomb of Annihilation on the other side, or Wild Beyond the Witchlight on the other side. Adventures where I feel like the only changes I have to make to it are ones that are customizing it for the group, are ones that I recommend. Ones where I feel like I have to change it just to have a good time and just to make sure my players have a good time generally falls into the, the, the don't recommend ter- territory. And that's for probably three big reasons that I can come up with. When I'm finished with Scarlet Citadel, I'll probably do a full review where I, I dive in deep into all of it. But there's three main reasons why I, why I don't feel like I can recommend Scarlet Citadel. And then there's some good things that I'll talk about. One of the big reasons, A, it's very, very wordy. It is not an adventure that makes itself easy to run at the table because much of the, what's going on in the adventure is buried in lots and lots of text. Some people really want to have a lot of that description in there. Some people want to be able to really understand how a scene is going to lay out. I need something that I can better reference when I'm at the table. If you've watched my previous prep episodes, you've seen how I've struggled to try to understand exactly what's going on in any given chamber. I shouldn't really have to struggle. I should have had to read it once and in depth and then later be able to quickly reference like, oh, yeah, that's what's going on here. And instead, it's not it's not really built for that reference. It's really built to like sit on a couch or sit on an easy chair and read the thing through, which doesn't make it for an adventure that I would consider to be easy to run. Number two, it is a very downward beat focused adventure. In many cases throughout it, you can you can see that the characters are just going to get beat up heavily by what's going on. The adventure describes it specifically. One thing the adventure does do well, which other adventures I've run do not, is it tells you when things are going to be a slog. It tells you, hey, you're going to be throwing a lot of trollkin at these guys. You're going to be right in the initial ones. The characters are going to get beat up. They could, yeah, first level, this could be absolutely lethal. So they tell you that it's very dangerous, but it is still very dangerous. And beyond being dangerous, because you want adventures that are dangerous. But to me, if you're really going to hook players and really get them excited about it, you really need to have that upward and downward beat idea that there are some scenes that are fun and whimsical, some scenes where the characters have a clear advantage over what's going on, scenes where they're getting things that really show them like, oh, that's why I want to be here. And then follow those scenes up with scenes that are very high challenge. This one is a lot of challenging scenes and scenarios, one right after the other. And that actually leads into my third criticism, which the motivation to go to the Scarlet Citadel is pretty much non-existent. And if you mix that with the fact that it's all downward beats, anybody who's thinking through the eyes of their character, anybody who's understanding says, there's got to be a better place to go than this place because we're just getting our asses kicked and we don't even know why we're here. Now, in my campaign, I've got a lot of hooks. I made sure during our session zero, when I got an understanding of who the characters were and we understood what was going on, that I used those connections from the characters to drive heavy the motivation for the characters to go to Scarlet Citadel. In my version, it's the idea that the four major antagonists that exist in Scarlet Citadel have all been using very powerful, captured energy from a, an entity known as the Weird Weaver, who's sort of the, the bond of randomness in the, war, in the universe. Think of it as like... A, being of entropy and they're using that energy to 
to, to draw in a lot of power from ley lines. And the more they twist the ley lines, the more the land around them could turn into the wasted West. So they're saying like the, the real thing is, do we want the crossroads to turn into the wasted West? Or how are we going to stop these four powerful entities from twisting all of this energy around that they shouldn't have by basically binding the energy of this entity known as the weird weaver and using it to twist the ley lines and in doing so causing catastrophic damage to the crossroads so i had to make all that up right my characters the players and i had to make all of that up and then i had to use that and really drive the spike down into the center of scarlet citadel to say that is why you're going down there the adventure really doesn't have anything like that so if you mix in the fact that it is a really like punishing adventure i don't know if i'm putting quotes but i don't think it's quoted if you mix the fact that's a really punishing adventure without a lot of motivation for the characters to go down. I think the intention is this is an old school style adventure where your goal is to go down there and collect loot. And it just so happens that there's all these entities down there doing all these things. And there's lots of neat things to see, but they're all really dangerous. And the best course of action for any logical character would be don't go. And that's that's that, that's a little hard. And I you know, I think it's sort of a little bit of this like what dungeons used to be like in ye olden days in the eighties and what we expect from a dungeons and adventures today. I think that that's a dichotomy. So if you want that sort of old school, if you've got players that are really looking for that punishing very hard, very challenging, deep dungeon where the main prim primary goal is for them to go explore and get treasure. And even then, the treasure is not really stupendous. So there's not, you know, you, know, you don't learn about it early. Then maybe this is fine. However, even, I mean, it's not like my players, my players are not exactly brand new to D&D. &D. They've met, I think, God, I can't imagine. The combined experience of D&D &D in that group must be in the hundreds of years. If you combine them all together, we've, many of us have been playing decades. So we remember those times and we still wouldn't want to run it that way today because I feel like the game has evolved since then. So, you know, I don't I, I don't think this is just an argument over an old school dungeon versus like a new the new design of dungeons where, you know, we're, we're sharing more of a narrative story. It's a little bit of that. But even among people who like old school, it's still like, why would you go there? And that actually the other part of that motivation exists with the with the the, the villains themselves, that it's not really clear why the villains are doing what they're doing. They all have sort of their hobby projects. You have you have Dineska. Uh, who's working with oozes and stuff like that. And I guess you're just down there doing stuff with oozes the whole time. You have Kagoth Z who's dorking around with time. But if you go down there and meet them, you're like, well, this poor person just has like a cool science project. Why am I, why am I attacking them? Right? Why, why am I so angry with them? And I think the adventure even kind of makes like, you don't really have to fight these guys. But I've heard people say that they go down there and the players are like, no, I guess we'll just let those people go. Like, we'll just worry about the monsters that we know because like, you know, Kagoth Z dorking around with time doesn't seem to be wrecking the world. Now in mine, he is wrecking the world, right? And that's, that's the motivation that I added. So I think when you kind of put all those things together, you can, you can definitely get this adventure into a good spot. One thing the adventure that does really well, it's a, the design of it is really cool. The maps are really, really beautiful. The physical version, you can buy the map pack that comes with like all 12 maps in it. And the maps are, are really good looking maps. You know, we've, 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 I've, I've shown them on this. I've shown them on the show before. They work really well in virtual tabletops. I'm using Albert Rodeo, but you can buy this for Fantasy Grounds. You can buy it for Roll20. You can easily import them to other ones like Foundry and things like that. I think, I think you could probably buy it for Foundry. And so that's really nice. It is a, it is a very, it's an adventure. The materials for the adventure are, are definitely built to help you run it, particularly well online, but also in physical too, because they have the big poster maps. And my understanding is the poster maps were actually designed before the adventure was designed. The adventure was sort of written around the poster maps. Lots of cool verticality, lots of good, like our old school style of different paths to get in and out and, and, you know, secret tunnels that can take you down to level three. So you can skip level one and two. That's really cool. The other part of the design that I really like is they have a lot of like what happens on the level after the characters have cleared it out. What, what comes next and i've been doing a lot of that to show like what they've done on level one changes how level one behaves it doesn't just become a static dead level now there's other things going on there same with like level two when level two they defeated dineska and when they did she became like an uber slime creature and she's growing and growing and they've seen little bits of her and now they're like oh we beat her because we saw that one slime it's like nah that, that that's she's legion there's a one many slimes that have dineska's personality in it now because they, they spawn and break apart so that you know it's got lots of cool stuff like that 
the a lot of the chambers are really fantastic like you want to talk about fantastic locations the chambers are definitely got a lot of fantasy going on these are not boring rooms with four orcs and and you know sitting around a campfire there's time travel stuff there's you know weird ooze things there's you know beautiful dwarven ruins there's the old tombs dwarven tombs that have been built into something there's like pools of water that take you to multiple dimensions there's all you know the whole river sticks is flowing through it so from a high fantasy element it's very the locations are great the locations are really really cool and the interconnectivity of those locations is really really good and that's why i wouldn't just say nobody should buy this adventure because it's like no if you're willing to figure out if you're i think i think it's fixable right the adventure is fixable in in a few ways you can't really fix the fact that the word that it's got too many words, too many notes, as they say, in, as, as the emperor said in Amadeus, right? Simply too many notes, just cut a few. And so you can't really do much with that other than like read it and maybe write in your own summaries of things. I actually have started to mark up my physical book to, to keep track of like what the interconnections are between different chambers. But there's, that's that's really a hard thing to fix. But the other things, if too, too many downward beats, it's just a matter of adding more upward beats. It's a matter of looking at some of those downward beats and changing them. So instead of going down and facing 12 Trollkin, what if it's one Trollkin walking his baby Lich Hound? And now you've got kind of a fun encounter that isn't necessarily this brutal thing. What if they negotiate with the Trollkin instead of fight them as happened in my game? We'll talk about that in a minute. You can, you can, you, you need to be careful to make sure that there's upward and downward beats, that there's options for them to fight things that are easy. There's options for them to show off their abilities and not feel like every battle is going to kick completely kick their ass. Let them find interesting things, probably add more treasure than the adventure itself has. I think the adventure has been a little bit anemic in the amount of treasure that it's been dropping off. And, and that like today, that's something we're going to do. There's from what I, from what I understand, uh, I don't remember it all. I and mean, we will, when we get there, there's all of these different dwarven tombs and they all have like really hard ways to get in and lots of challenges to break in and then you get in there's not really anything there and well that's no fun like what kind of things could they discover in these tombs so you might have to add more treasure but more upward beats is is one big thing then bringing in a clear motivation for your characters to complete this and an easy one is that all four of these entities all, all four of these villains that are operating inside scarlet citadel this actually solves two problems one it gives motivation to the villains and two it gives motivation to the players and the motivation for the villains is they are all working together on their magical experiments but in doing so they are wrecking the world around them that by twisting the ley lines they're shredding the natural order of things in the region there's earthquakes happening there's weird eco ecological problems going on and the more they do it the more it's going to end it up like the wasted west and they can learn more about that from talking to like the dust goblins down on level two so there's ways for them to understand understand this but i would make that motivation very clear in your session zero i would i would clarify to the players and to the characters that the reason the characters have to go down there and and stop whatever's happening in scarlet citadel is because it's going to wreck the world around it it's a nice easy motivation it's very solid it makes the motivation of the villains that are down there you'd be like why are you doing this you're wrecking the world and they're like no we're not they'll just say they're not right and it's a nice and easy way for them to think i am working on magical experiments that are tremendous i'm not wrecking the world you're an idiot well no you really are well i don't care you know, or I think you're a liar. And and that, that that motivation works. So you need to have like strong motivation for the villains to do what they're doing, which is not too far from what they were doing already. They're working in these magical experiments. They're just wrecking the world around them. And then two, definitely a big one is add more upward beats, add more treasure so that the characters are getting things, add stuff to make it more enjoyable. And and the the third problem is really not one that there's an easy solution to, which is it's it's very very wordy and it takes a lot of time to kind of parse and run it, and that just means it's a harder adventure to run than I would say other adventures. Like I'm running Light of Zaraxis now. I actually ran a session of Light of Zaraxis last night, and Light of Zaraxis is definitely a different style of adventure. It's a big spanning adventure. It spans I think like it's not huge, about four levels, so it's a smaller adventure holy cow is that adventure much easier to run than this like that's one where i can prep it in 30 minutes and i'm ready to go every time now it's very procedural it's very scene based but it's also the the way they wrote it was very very brief and specific and you get right into what's important and off you go and it gives you lots of like hooks in the writing and this is what i think scarlet cell could have done is hooks in the writing to excite you about something to let you sort of run with it instead of having to describe everything. So that's that's you know that's that's my feeling. So I wanted to, I wanted to kind of talk about that up front. I wanted now that I'm about halfway through, you know, we're on level three of six, so we're about halfway through the adventure at this point. And and these are the things that have come to me have, having run it. I don't think those are going to change 
as I finish the adventure. I, 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 I'm, I don't feel confident reviewing an adventure just by reading it. Because I often, a lot of times, I'm just excited by it. I read it and I'm like, oh, this is a really cool idea. And I get excited by it. Or I find one problem with it. And that problem weights my whole rating of an adventure. And I don't know. And then, then I don't feel like I can give it a good, solid understanding of, of if I'm going to enjoy it, if it's one that I recommend. I can't do that just from reading it. But I can from running it. And most of the time, I wait till the end of a campaign or end of an adventure before I say, okay, yeah, here's what's going on. And, and I have some that I recommend, like I got when I went through Wild Beyond the Witchlight, and I loved it. I really enjoyed that adventure a lot. I gave it a very high review. I said, Wild Beyond the Witchlight, fantastic adventure. And then Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, I did not. Right? Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, I ran, and I felt like I had to do a ton of work to get that adventure to run in a certain way. Many, not, not exactly the same problems, but similar problems. That It wasn't overwritten. I'm not going to go into a whole review of Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. But, and you can find video links to, to my reviews of Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. But I really... That one was took a lot of work for me to wrangle in a situation. And many times it was because it didn't have motivations to go to certain places. There's all these different locations and you're better off just not going there. You're just, you know, there's nothing there for you. The cackling chasm is the one that, that reminds, not, I guess not cackling chasm. What's the one with, yeah, is it cackling chasm? The one that's full of gnolls. And it's like, why go there? You just go there, you fight a bunch of gnolls. You don't get any treasure. There's not, there's no reason to go there and you're just going to get beat up by gnolls. And it's like, well, you know, so I had to add the motivations to add things so that the characters could go there. And it's a lot of work. After you pay 50 bucks for an adventure, you kind of want to have something to go there. So similar, similar. That, so I feel like now that I'm halfway through Scarlet Citadel, I have enough of an assessment that I can make this, I can make these statements. This has certainly been my experiences with it. Other people, of course, may run it and go, oh, this is fantastic. And other people might run it and say, oh, this is absolutely terrible. So, you know, we're all, we're all going to have different opinions, but, but I wanted to offer what I found to be kind of the three main, you know, the three to four main things that I discovered running this adventure. Let's actually start prepping our game, our game today. As always, we are using Notion to do, I'm using Notion to do my campaign planning. If you want to learn more about using Notion to do your own campaign planning, you can find links about Notion and links to this notebook down in the show notes below. So first thing we're going to do is generate a new session planning template. Click that. We go in here and we say 19 Feb, February, Sunday, Scarlet, Citadel. We review our characters. Who are the characters in today's game? I think we have five of the six. I'm, I, I know one person is going to be out, and I know a few people that are going to be in. I don't know if, if, if anybody else is going to be out. Jay Bart is a Gearforged Bard diplomat played by Jay. Jay is going to be here. Very much in the you know, a negotiating sort of entity who's down here to try to find his special purpose. Like, what is... Something that has created something there. And I, I think that I don't, I don't, you know, if I was going to dive deep into like what I think that that's going to lead to, it could be that the final piece of the, the final piece of the Weird Weaver is in him. It's his heart. He's had it all along. That might be kind of fun. I don't know how that'll play out though. We'll see. We have Dorn Greycastle played by Joe. Dorn is a, a shade that's in, in inhabiting a body of a person named Potter. The body kept getting more and more beat up as they're making their way down deeper into Scarlet Citadel. It got disemboweled by lich hounds. It got kind of torn up. It, last time, I think something fell on it. Some huge monster. Was it an owlbear? They were fighting an owlbear. And an owlbear got pulled and crushed his body. And they were like, oh, man. They said it was like the other three characters. It was like Gallagher, right? Like, oh, God. And they're like, ah. And, you know, I had Mez roll a system shock check. I said, it won't have any mechanical effect, but like what happens to you, you know, as she watches, as he watches, as, as Mez watches Potter's body get crushed by underneath an owlbear. So that's fun. He's trying to find his way back home. He wants to, he wants to either go back home or find peace or something. He's not sure. He knows he's not exactly in the right place and wants to find, wants to find out where he's supposed to be going. Garble, played by Pat, a mushroom folk rogue, very straightforward plot, is looking for a nice place to live, is looking for a place for him to bring, for, for, for them to bring their mushroom, their mushroom friends along. They are a far traveler, mushroom folk rogue far traveler. A lot of times it's like, why is that mushroom sitting on that side of that thing? Sister, Mar Sister Malarkey Jones, played by Jerry, is a tiefling warlock and cleric and follower and whose patron and deity are both the Weird Weaver. They are a follower of the Weird Weaver, both, both innately through their warlock patron thing, but also divinely through, through being a cleric. 
and their their goal his her her goal is to recover to save the weird weaver as is skrink skibbers skrink skibbers is a rat folk wizard occultist who was sacrificed and then resurrected by the weird weaver with the specific intention of rescuing the weird weaver from captivity down in scarlet citadel so that is the those are the characters and they, as you can see, they all have a pretty strong motivation that's kind of tied around this idea of the Weird Weaver that gets more and more solid the more they, they go. And I think I think heads to a lot of places. Now, so the strong start, the characters, they, in the last session, the characters managed to negotiate their way with the Trollkin. So rather than, they, they had to fight a couple of owlbears, trained dire owlbears. They fought them in this chamber up here. And... It was pretty hard, but the characters did a good job of fighting them and facing them. And they impressed they impressed the Trollkin so much. At one point, they, they impressed the Trollkin, and there was a Trollkin shaman. I, I think it, was, it wasn't Sassagain. It was the other one. Where'd she go? She's around here somewhere. Maybe not. I lost, I lost her icon. So one of the two Trollkin shaman watched the battle. And then Bart, who just loves charming things... He just loves to charm anything. He charmed, charmed her and said like, you know, at first he, he came up with something like, why don't you just, you and your people flee. And then he realized like, that's not going to work. But like, we're not your enemy here was sort of the charm that he gave her. And she's like, they're not my enemy. And also I just watched them kill two dire owlbears and nobody kills two dire owlbears. Like we only have four of those things and they normally wipe out entire villages. So the fact that this group made its way down here and then, so she, and then she started to think like, this could be something that helps us get rid of that pain in the ass. Let me get rid of some of these. I got all these little bits of cruft. There we go. The NPC. What's her name? One of the two remaining. Immorta the debased. Right? The, the disciple of Gellert. Who goes around multiple levels. And kind of rules through fear. And she ruled through fear among the Trollkin. She managed to build sort of a, an alliance with the Trollkin. Through her kind of tyranny and fear. That they would protect and they would stop anybody from going further down. And the Trollkin are like, okay, we're going to do that. But the Trollkin don't like her. They don't like her. They don't like, and they recognize that like bad things are going on down below, but we're not going to go down there and find out what. So they said, we'll, we'll, we'll make you a deal. You have, you will have free passage through this, our, our realm here in the Dwarven, the, the Dwarven barracks, i.e. level three. If you recover an artifact, there is a crown that I have that's whispering to me from one of the tombs in the in the natural chambers to the east. I would like you to go into those chambers and recover this crown for me. And if you recover this crown and you bring it to me, I will give you free passage through level three. So he's you know, a this is the head, the head of the trolls, Brynjar. So Brynjar said, I want this crown really badly. You go get the crown. I'll give you free passage here. Now, he might have given a free passage anyway. I don't think he was about to drop everything on there. But he recognizes, like, there's a pretty good chance we'll lose. There's a good chance they might lose, too, but we don't know. So we'd rather do this. And, and if I can get this crown in the process, that would be great. And the character said, yeah, that sounds fine. We'll do that. And they, they found out that there's a passage here to the south, the southeast, that leads over to those, those, those chambers to the east, which are known as Cackling Chasm. I'm not telling the characters. They're called the Cackling Chasm yet. And then the characters were like exploring a little more. And they were investigating this door over here to the Shrine of Volund. And they recognized, I forgot how they got it. But they managed to get into the tomb. They, they worked out the puzzle on the door. There's some kind of puzzle on the door. I think they just picked it. I think they found out there's three locks. They picked the three locks. They got into the door, and then they saw that there is a golden anvil, and lying atop the golden anvil is a small hammer. The hammer is the exact size and shape as the hammer that appears on the tomb of Thor down here in the trap, the trap door. So they're like, oh, so that one tomb can lead us to the other. That's great. And we'll just go grab it. So Garble ran in and grabbed it. And then immediately two dwarven constructs animated. And that is where we ended the session. So today's strong start is nice and easy, which is battle against the two dwarven constructs. And I'm just going to use the clockwork. There's, there's a bunch of clockwork stat blocks that are in the Cobalt Press books. I think I'm going to use, I don't think I'm going to use Myrmidons. They're a little tough, but like the Huntsmen, I could use like Huntsmen and then scale them up, maybe give them more attacks or something like that. The fun bit is that the Trollkin will be watching and placing bets and placing bets, but they're definitely not getting involved. So this is leading to like trying to get the characters to explore. I've definitely been leaning in more on trying to get the characters to explore what has been going on and where where else they can go 
in in this place so that they don't just kind of beeline it for the they don't just beeline it for the main you know whatever the main path is that takes them down and so that, that that's been working out i kind of I, I over you know I, I overly hinted about these doors and these things like that and the players definitely got the hints and said oh i guess we should go check that out so fighting the constructs at the fighting the constructs at the tomb of Alund, then opening the vault of thor then probably journey to the cackling chasms so secrets and clues we'll probably i guess we'll 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 let's see i can hammer out some secrets and clues about the cackling chasms the dwarves built numerous tombs in the in in these lower in these lower chambers tombs and vaults right and protected them with traps puzzles and constructs what else might we say strain the strange twisting of the weird weaver has been going on for hundreds of years hundreds of years but is getting worse exponentially the longer the characters wait the worse it could get the twisting of the weird weaver and the ley lines of the area have torn open rifts to other lands and other worlds that's how the dust goblins got here and that's what opened the portals in the pools to the east the trollkin fear the creatures in the tunnels to the east their own scouting parties never returned that gives me an idea for a fun monster there was one monster that was showing up every time i was pulling up the trolls we're going to go to our creature database here and we're going to look up troll and there was a man there's a lot of trolls was it, it wasn't a trollkin rage caster tumor troll I think it might have been the tumor troll. Let's pull up, bring up a new window and get Tome of Beast 3. And the tumor troll is 375, page 375. We have a rattleback troll. Tumor troll, CR6. So an interesting thing that could that that we could do. These are like mutated trolls, right? Horrifying disease mutated trolls. And they could be mutated because of the twisting of the weird weaver, the twisting of the ley lines, the pulling, and they could be roaming around in the chambers below. And they're actually trollkin that, you know, many of the trollkin were just killed. Many of the trollkin were just killed, but some of them were twisted into these aberrations. And the characters might run into them. And that might be kind of fun. If if I don't already have monsters then i've got these i'm gonna grab a snapshot i like i like this here there's tetratoma they, they like new weird things they have so i'm gonna grab this screenshot here and copy that save to clipboard and then i'm gonna go into here and i'm gonna open up my tumor troll and i'm gonna stick that in there so i've got the stat block for the tumor troll looks like it's already got stats for armor class and everything else 17 on initiative roll that seems high that seems very high. I don't think that initiative is that high. Minus two. So it's not a 17, it's an eight. There's like a, there's a, there's a, a data error. So that's good. And then what I can do is in here underneath monsters, I can type tumor, tumor troll for Scarlet Citadel. And now when I click that, I get my tumor troll stat block. Handy, handy. So yeah, the troll can fear their own scouting parties never returned. Most of the scouting parties were killed and eaten by the whatever they are in there. What are those in the cackling chasms here? Clacker beetles. Most of them are eaten by clacker beetles. Some, however, mutated into tumor, into tumor trolls and wander still. So that's kind of fun. So we've got some secrets there. Now let's take a look. We're making, we're making some progress on our secrets. I think for fantastic locations, we don't need to worry about it today because we have that D's, we have the trollkin, but in particular, let's, let's pop up on our thing. Did I, did I make a, I didn't make a NPC thing for Brynjar. So let's make one for Brynjar. I think we need some NPCs. There's one thing here that's got, yes, yeah, so we got Brynjar. So i make a new one for Brynjar. And he is a trollkin. It's not a commander, what? Trollkin Lord. Lord of the Trollkins, right? And we have a picture of, whoop, that's not the right picture. There we go. There's Brynjar. 
I don't think I've ever used that picture. I should have. I should have used it. They'd be like that guy with a skull on his hat. That's the dude we've been talking to. So we've got him, and then we know that he's got a couple of people working for him. Gidea, she's a trollkin flame shaman. Not going to worry about pictures. And then there's another shaman, Sassing, 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 I can't even pronounce that name. So we'll make a new one for that. Those are the two shaman. And I think, I can't remember which one got charmed. I think it was Sassing, Sassigny, Sassigine. Where did the other token go? She's not dead. Weird. I can't find, I can't find the other token for the other, for the other shaman. She's around there too. And then they have, let's see, we're going to Gostov, the Trollkin Raider and Scout. So we got a handful of NPCs. We also have the, the devil that is in Bart, uh, not Bart's blade, but Thorn's blade. He hasn't said anything recently. That's Les, Les Baskalag. So we have Les Baskalag. We have B-R-Y. Oh, man. We have Gostov. We have Sassing, Sassigny, Sassing, Sassing. God names man and is it B, B, bj yeah the lord of the shaman so we've got those so we got our handful of npcs the clacker beetles let's look those guys up go to our creature database is this the right that's the right creature database and we're gonna look up clacker beetles they are in Toby's three as well look at that soldiers and swarms page 54 so we can go right in here and Swarm and Soldier, both from Scarlet Citadel. And those are page 54, and there they are. So we can grab this sheet. I guess what we'll do is we'll put the right stat block in the right group. So we'll do that. That is the Soldier. Oops. The Soldiers only have 18 hit points. Interesting. And then we have the Swarm. It has 36 hit points. The Swarms are worse. And we got those. And then other creatures to be determined. So let's look through, let's go to the adventure here, and we're going to take a look. We've got some, you know, we're probably, what are we, about halfway done? Let's look at our, let's look at our notes so far. I think we're like halfway there. I reviewed the characters, so I can check that. Boop, check. I got my strong start. I got some scenes going on. I've got about half the secrets I need. I got some NPCs. I got some monsters. I need to do treasure. I need to be thinking about treasure. So yeah, I would say I'm like halfway, halfway there in about the 15 minutes or so that we've been doing this since after my, after my thing. It occurs thanks to G Blaster. It said that book looks very much like an Hulk. So why don't we do an Hulk? I don't know. Is the Umber Hulk a, I don't think that's in the SRD, is it? Let's go take a look in our creature database. The Umber Hulk is not. We have to create a new one for the Umber Hulk. So we go D&D Beyond. Kind of violates my... You know what? I think we'll skip that. Because if I want to bring in bigger bigger creatures like that, I'd rather bring them in from Toma Beast to keep the, the, the whole sort of Kobold Press Midgard thing together. But I don't know. I mean, what the hell? Let's do it. Umber Hulk. They don't care. And we will grab ourselves an Umber Hulk stat block. They're pretty powerful. And they have that... Yeah, they have that crazy gaze attack. And also, this shows how easy it is to add a new creature to your to your creature database. Let's open this up so I can read it. AC 18, 93 hit points. This type, and it's, what type is it? It is a monstrosity. So we go monstrosity, and CR is 5. We're not going to fill everything out because we don't really need to. AC is 18, max hit points are 93, and it has plus one dex, so its initiative is one, its initiative roll is 11, none of these needed. Source is, and we're gonna put monster manual. And we don't need a page, we do have a URL. Grab the URL, put that in there. Size is large. Not legendary, no conditions, damage, encounter position, page, number, we're not gonna worry about all that. So, there we go. That, that was as easy as it is to add a new monster to the creature database that we've got going on here. And then I can go back to my notes and I can add, and I got my Overhulk. Bang. Cool. Nice thing there is it's just really fast to look up the monsters. You don't have to. Like, you could just pull it right up on D&D Beyond. You don't have to have, like, a, you don't have to add it to the database, but you can see it's not really hard to do so. So let's look at the adventure and let's go back to see what is going on here. So they, room-wise, so they're going to enter through... Seven, eight, and nine is the tomb. But let's take a look at the chamber that they're going in just to make sure I've got that settled. I think I already do, though. I just wonder if there's any treasure going on there. So 314 and 315. So 314, Brynjar and Gidea share this chamber. That's the bedchamber. 315 is the Shrine of Valund. 
They succeed on they succeeded on the checks here. I think I made it easier because I just wanted them to do it. I didn't really want to spend a lot of time dorking around with it. They go inside. Look at what I'm talking about. It's one chamber and it's pages. Like, look at all the text. How many words is this? We're gonna we're gonna count. It is 979 words. It is almost a thousand words of text for one for one chamber. And I don't think it's that complicated a chamber, right? But it's got a lot going on. So, and really, it's just two monolith footmen attack. And is there anything in here? Tiny hammer is the key that opens. So they find that the hammer. So there's no treasure or anything in here. I'm kind of, we're going to see, because it might be that, well, I don't know. Maybe the tiny hammer leads to like an actual, like, you know, hammer, throwing hammer, dwarven throwing hammer or something like that. I don't think it will, but let's, let's take a look. So then let's go to, I think it was 307, 8, and 9. Yeah. There's, there's three tombs back there. 307. Tomb of Heroes. Door of the tomb, a carved stone slab, family crest showing three crossed weapons and dwarven make. Symbol of the crest of the Holzanger family. This is for heroic warriors who served hold the Holzangers. We're going to throw this right into our secret, right into our secrets and clues. Let's go into our, let's see if this works. Remove line breaks. This didn't work last time I did it, but it's better. I only missed one line break. This is also shows that like you can be like, well, that's not a secret. The secret is a design is carved in showing a family crest. But this is just for me and my notes. This is not for publication. This is not something I have to give to anybody else. So I can put anything I want, any format I want, any sentence structure that I want. I could even put just the two, two or three words. It doesn't have to be clean. Your own notes don't need to be clean. Door can be broken with a DC strength, strength track. Pry bar, I'll open it up. Seven small sarcophagi. Yeah, so there's a light hammer of throwing. That's cool. Spell of protection from evil and good. So there's a fair bit. Gerdart's bargain. Communal flute. A lot of stuff. Wow, look at all the stuff that's in here. There's a lot of treasure in this place. So we're going to look at all that stuff. Light hammer of throwing. Gerdart's bargain. Communal flute. Black and white daggers. And Hildor's war pick. That's a ton of treasure. That's good. Communal flute uses spellcasting focus by a bard. In addition, the bard can use the flute to speak with dead without using the spell slot. To do so, the bard must play the flute over the corpse for 10 minutes after which the spell takes effect. The bard must complete the, a, a long rest before using the flute to cast speak with dead again. That's kind of cool. Black and white daggers, match pair of daggers identical except for the stones in their pommel. One is black and is white. Plus one versus monstrosities and plus one versus undead. If both daggers are used, the same monstrosity undead in a single turn, the creature takes an additional d6. That is very cool. People will love that. Our rogue will love that. It's treasure day, apparently. Gerdart's bargain. Unique cursed ring. The ring is a, this is the ring the dwarves presented to Gerdart to seal their bargain to serve him in exchange for permission to build their hall. If identify as cast on or spends an hour examining, it's a ring of regeneration. But it's not. It's a cursed ring. Although the curse is fairly mild, the curse the wearer is treated as charmed by all dwarves and can't attack any dwarf that hasn't already attacked the wearer. That's interesting. And even then, the wearer has disadvantage on attack rolls against dwarves, and they have advantage on saving throws against the wearer's attacks. Dwarves of evil alignment innately sense their advantage over the wearer. That's pretty cool. Otherwise, it's a ring of regeneration. I think that's cool. Hildor's war pick. Unique. War pick is an enchanted weapon and the epitome of dwarven weaponsmith. In fact, it's so ornately adorned with filigree and fine gems that it looks more like a decorative wall hanging than a tool of war, but it's fully functional war pick and it's slain many enemies. Creature to who, the creature who's attuned to Hildor recovers a maximum number of hit points from the first hit die they expend during each short rest. After that, the dwarf can re-roll hit dice that result in natural ones and twos. A creature that isn't a dwarf doesn't get the second benefit and won't even be aware of it unless they cast identify. Hmm. The second one is what? Oh, the ones and twos. I, I don't know if I'm going to bother with the limitation for dwarves because I don't think we have any dwarves in our party. So I think I think anybody could use that. Light hammer of throwing. Looks and functions like a standard light war hammer, light 1d4 bludgeoning, but it returns to your hand after being thrown and its attacks are considered magical. Why Why? Why have a light epi, epo, eptomy? Eptomy? Eptomy. Why have a light hammer of throwing? That does a D4. What's a normal Warhammer? Is it Thrower? Dwarven Thrower. Oh, that thing's crazy too powerful. Plus three bonus. That's ridiculous. So what is the, the different hammers? So I guess the light is a light hammer because light hammers are what you can throw. Throwing hammer of throwing. Hammer throws you. I guess that's not bad, but why not make it like a plus? Would, you know, would a plus two be too high on this? So it's pretty accurate when you throw it. You could also throw lightning damage that like once per day, it does 2d6 
lightning damage on somebody it hits, so it's a little like Thor's hammer, right? That wouldn't be so bad. That way it does 1d4 plus 2d6. You could have it do like, you know, it's, it's just charged with lightning and does an extra d6. So it, it does 1d4 plus 1d6, you know, 1d4 plus 1d6 lightning on any hit, but doesn't have a plus bonus. And it returns to your hand after being thrown and its attacks are considered magical, right? I think that'd be pretty cool, but I think it needs to do more than d4 damage. D4, like, it's so lame. And a d4 plus a d6 isn't crazy outrageous, right? That average on that is five. So, you know, 1d4 bludgeoning plus 1d6 lightning, and it works all the time. Because that, that, the average damage on that is not real high. You know, I think, like, what, a d8 plus one is an average of five. If you had a plus one weapon, though, so d8. And granted, it's going to be, the curve is going to be a little different. And a d4 plus a d6 is two plus three, right? If you're rounding down, it's two plus. Now, I guess it is six. So it's a little bit more powerful. But that's still not crazy high. I don't think that's bad. And I think it's fun. So I think doing an extra, uh, the, the light hammer of throwing that does an extra d6 damage is where I'm going to go. I'm not going to bother writing it down. We'll figure it out when we get there. But that is a lot of treasure that they're going to pick up. And they're going to be very happy picking up tons of treasure. So I'm good. I, I think I'm good with all that. Is there a, what does shatter do, right? Shatter does 3d8 thunder damage. So what if it could do shatter once per day? Like when you hurled it and it hits, you could have it explode with a shatter once a day. I mean, it's really powerful, but the characters are, you know, they're tier two characters. That's not outrageous. So I think we're going to do, we're going to do that, right? That's really like, you know, the light hammer of throwing. It's Thor's hammer, right? And it's a light hammer of throwing that does an additional 1d6 lightning damage on a hit and can on a hit once per day when it hits the creature attuned to it can cast the spell shatter on the target centered on the target once per day when the hammer yeah that's fine i don't have to be perfect text again not perfect so that's now it's really good right now it's something like somebody's going to love having that hammer they're going to use it the rest of the campaign i don't think it's particularly unbalanced because it's it's doing you know wait we said six damage but it doesn't have a plus one bonus so they have to sacrifice if they're attuned to this it means they aren't really going to have a weapon that's attuned i'm not even sure who's going to use it right because we don't have i mean i think mez might want it oh i forgot that we do have a bard that's cool Dorn might use it, but Dorn's like they're all Dex people. Maybe Malarkey would use it. So it's possible Malarkey might take it because Malarkey is a cleric and could use it. That might be fun. But yeah, it's not an ideal, it's not an ideal weapon for them. Now, some of the other ones, the daggers definitely are, the flute definitely is. There's definitely other items in here. So it's it's not like every single item has to has to match perfectly. So so that works. So I think it's okay. I don't, I don't think it's bad that, you know, I mean, it's a really nice weapon that nobody can use kind of sucks. I can't remember if, if Rumsalith is strength-based. I don't think they are. I don't think, I don't think he is. Let's, let's, I got to copy the character sheet. No, so Rumsalith is strength-based. So I think, I think Rumsalith might really like it. It doesn't quite fit Rumsalith's style. It's not really tuned around Rumsalith, but I think that it's still, it's too cool to not do, I think. Cool. Could it be a, spellcasting focus what if instead it was a spellcasting focus what if it did all of this stuff now am i making this thing too powerful light hammer of throwing that does an additional d6 lightning damage on a hit once per day when it hits the creature attuned to it can cast the spell shatter it can act as a spellcasting focus giving plus one for 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 clerics right plus one on spell attacks and dcs and it does shatter. That's a whole lot. But now it's a little bit better tuned around one character having it. I don't know. But then, then it's definitely just for malarkey. I don't know about that. I don't know. I think, I think we'll just... Because then, it, then it's built specifically for malarkey. And well, Roomsleth already has a weapon. I don't know that malarkey has very much. So that might work well. And in the hands of a cleric, it's not really overpowered, right? It gives... Yeah, because it has a spear that can cast. It has a spear that can cast thunder wave. That's kind of funny. And their strength is minus one, so like it's it's not. It's really bad. We can pull the whole idea of adding the extra d6 lightning damage, and it once per day a creature attuned to it can cast the spell shatter. Can use an action to cast the spell shatter. Centered spell shatter. Right. So that works, and then we'll get rid of the 
It's a light hammer throwing. We'll get rid of the extra damage. So now it's Thor's hammer, light hammer throwing. It's a, it, it's a, you know, a, a cleric focus, spellcasting focus, giving plus one in spell attacks and safety DC. So now it's better tuned for the cleric. You can still throw it. Doesn't do the extra lightning damage, but mostly it's a spellcasting focus because it's also small, right? Like Thor's hammer was small. Boy, I'm spending a lot of time worrying about this hammer. But it's okay, because this is something that I'm tuning around the characters. It's, it's time well spent. If you're focusing your attention, this is my table pounding. I feel, in my experience, if I am focusing my time and attention on things that are going to matter to the characters, I'm spending my time in the right place. Even if I'm spending a little more time than I, would, than I would normally spend. So now let's go take a look at the cackling chasms themselves. They go over here, and mostly I'm interested, I kind of know how this place operates. So the Cackling Chasms, let's see if we had a map. Oh, that's a good point. Mipantaku says, Thor had a magic iron gauntlets to better use his hammer. Yarnkapir, you could use the gauntlets later as a kind of set. That's not bad. What if, what if, I think, you know, now I'm, now I'm back to adding the, you know, 1d6 lightning damage. Because later somebody might get the gauntlets and then they can take their strength from an 8 to a 19. And now they can hurl it and they're actually pretty good. That's not bad. And the, the, the other, the, the gauntlets are in another vault down in the cackling chasm. So they, they, they recover those too. That would be really cool. And in fact, we could do a, we could make a secret out of this. So now the lightning damage is back, right? <laughs> because we want that to work. Or maybe the gauntlets cause the lightning. Nah, they could just do the lightning damage. So the hammer, Thor's hammer is part of a set that includes Thor's gauntlets. I gotta go copy and paste what you've said in the chat there. Yarn gripper. Those seem to be missing from Thor's vault. So we have the pool rooms. I, I, I read up on the pool rooms. Those are really cool. They're already like inundated with treasure. But I think in chamber 331, 330 was where I was considering. There's all these like tombs, all these other things. I'm going to run this pretty much as is. I still kind of don't know what to do about the river here, the river sticks tributary that shows up. I think I'm going to do the thing where it sort of loops around and they feel themselves like their ears pop and they, they feel stuff and then they end up back here again. That it's sort of a diluted version and that the, the real version of the river is below. I think that works. And once they get to the river below, then they can sort of ride it back up here. Might be kind of neat. So let's take a quick scan through these rooms. And again, here's the problem. You can't scan through these rooms. But we're going to start with 319. Main passageway, there's some glowing moss. Glowing moss cavern one with the pool of water. The pool of water actually takes you to a different, a different portal, a different place. I can throw some relics in here that maybe the dwarves have. As they pull back the, 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 pull back the treasure, the, the, you know, pull back any of the treasure. Diamond and emeralds, lots of, lots of, you know, lots of gold and stuff like that. Then they fight the giant octopus. The clacker beetles are kind of my, the clacker beetles are going to be something that I'm going to use as a dial. Like, I don't know when the clacker beetles are going to attack. I don't know how many are going to attack. I can use them when I want to shake things up. I'm not going to worry about running any kind of thing. They have the clockwork tomb with a clockwork mirror, but on there already fought one of those. I might change that up, but I don't know to what. We'll figure that out. An effigy tomb, an elemental tomb, beetle husk chambers, 325. And this is where the clacker beetles, they could probably hear it every so often. They might get attacked by a swarm and then they go in here and they, they see a lot of this. This one has a whole lot of stuff, including a potion of fire giant strength. And the warlock's tomb is 326. So that's here, six, seven, and eight. Warlock Whites, pretty cool. And there's not really much. Maybe there's, we'll put some relics in there, I think. I don't know what. I'll worry about that some other time. The bronze hook that they can find to pull the other, the other thing out. That's not bad. An open tomb. Beautiful longsword. Magical scale mail that allows the wearer to make stealth checks normally and grants the wearer a swimming speed of 30. Compartment hidden below the false bottom is a vampire bane cross light crossbow plus one deals an additional 3d6 to vampires and a belt of dwarven kind and a wand of binding so the belt of dwarven kind con score goes up advantage made with dwarves saving throws against poison dark vision and can speak a read dwarves eh, it's not bad not 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 completely op either so that's not a bad piece of treasure the shrine of karen the clacker beetle nest that's where the clacker beetles are and does that not have 
is that pool room 331? What's in 331? That goes down to the back caverns. So I think ring of lightning. So we can probably replace this. And I think this might be where I'll put. So first of all, this is where Loki's crown is. I created this magic item last time. Let's go back to my notes from last time. We can also go through my secrets and see if the secrets are there. Ah, so here's a whole, oh, look at this. Look at all these great things I have. I already have gauntlets of ogre power. Sweet. We're going to grab all this stuff and use it. Turns out last week I already had everything. Boom. And let's take a look through our secrets over here. They learned a lot of this. They learned Trokin. We learned about the Reavers. We haven't learned about the factions of Darrow war with one another in the lower levels. That's a secret we haven't used. We, Trokin are conscripted. Yep. Some of the creatures tied to the, to the third Echosahedron are as old as the Citadel itself. They did not learn that. That's something that uh, Baskalag might talk about. In more to the debase, use the power of the third Echosahedron to summon all sorts of horrible entities. Each of these creatures must be destroyed to seal the third Echosahedron. These are good. Troll can hate a mortar, but fear her. Yes, they already learned that. Weird Weaver isn't a god or a primordial or anything like that. Its shape and form is not humanoid like the other gods. The obelisk with its floating icosahedron is as close to a physical representation. That, that one's pretty good. Many vaults, we learned that. Brynjar wants the helm. We already know that. Some of these tombs are in the Cackling Caverns, but they know that. Tributary to the Black River Sticks. Third icosahedron. So these are all good. We're going to take these and we're going to kick those, kick those down the road. Now i got piles of secrets. So I've got a strong start. I've got my scenes. I've got secrets and clues, lots of them. I've got NPCs for them to talk to. I've got monsters for them to fight. I've got treasure for them to acquire. The locations are already in the book. Everything else is good. We can dump the scratch pad. I don't need that anymore. I could probably pull that out of the template too. We have our session notes. In fact, just for funsies, why don't we go back so I never have to do it again. And we click on configure template and we click on the session notes template. And in here, we kill the scratch pad and we kill the, that thing and we make our session notes bigger. Whoops. And save that. That looks good. That looks good. That looks good. That all looks good. So that template now is saved. Next time we generate a template, it'll be automatically set up that way. I think we are all set. So I'm going to thank everybody for hanging out with me today. It has been a great pleasure as always to have you to, to, to have you enjoy my, my game prep. If you enjoyed the show and you want more material like it, you can subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter. You get a free PDF adventure generator and you get access to a, a every, every week a RPG-related email will be sent directly to your inbox. You can support me directly on Patreon. Patrons get access to the Uncovered Secrets Volume 1 and 2. They get the City of Arches Sourcebook. They get a dedicated Discord channel. They get access to all kinds of great stuff. Very low price. You can find a link to that down in the show notes below. Or you can pick up any of my books at the Sly Flourish bookstore, including Return of the Lazy Dungeon Master, the Lazy DM's Workbook, and the Lazy DM's Companion. Thank you all very much. Have a great day, and get out there and play an RPG.